Hello, and welcome to Sanofi's General Medicine Medical Podcast, Keeping in Sight, Bridging the Healthcare Community. In each episode, we speak with experts from the diabetes community to share their experiences and best practices for addressing health inequities. We hope that you gain awareness, perspective, and empowerment to make impactful changes for your community. My name is Amulia Tadachar. And my name is Anil Jacob. And we are the Diabetes Medical Science Liaisons for Sanofi. This program is non-promotional and sponsored by Sanofi. Please be sure to click on the episode for links to references and resources to support your efforts in addressing health inequities. This program does not constitute an endorsement by Sanofi of any particular organization or its programming. Additional resources and information may be available and should be investigated. Today, we are joined by Donna Rice, formerly Chief Strategy and Population Health Officer of The Root Cause, a nonprofit organization aimed to address social determinants of health for marginalized communities. Donna also served as the past president of the Association of Diabetes Care and Education Specialists and past president of the Diabetes Health and Wellness Institute at the former Baylor Healthcare System, serving high-risk communities in South Dallas. Donna is a registered nurse by training and has contributed to the Dallas community in numerous roles, including population health, integration of diabetes technology in the care for the underserved, and supporting individuals with chronic conditions. She is here today to discuss the importance of building trust in community as the first and foremost critical step to addressing health inequities. We will discuss how trust looks for the underserved communities, the role of patient advocates, and steps that you can take to eliminate implicit biases and gain trust with people with diabetes. Donna, we are just so excited to have you. I've had the pleasure of knowing you for the last couple of years, and we've just had so many conversations about social disparities and health inequities. You provide such good insight from the perspective of a clinician and a population health standpoint. Can you share with our listeners what drove your passion for healthcare inequities and giving back to your community? Sure. First of all, thank you both, and thank you to Sanofi for having me on this podcast to really share my passion on population health. I did get into population health very, very early in my career. I was working for a large health system doing diabetes care and education and worked with an incredible CEO who was truly a visionary, and he really believed that diabetes care and chronic disease belonged in the community. So he built a wellness center that really focused on lifestyle and prevention back in the 90s. And the rest is history. I've I've worked in diabetes care and population health for the majority of my career. Wow, Donna, it sounds like you have a lot of experience in this area, and we look forward to leaning on that expertise throughout this discussion. Now, before we get into how to develop trust, it's important to understand the factors that contribute to the racial and ethnic disparities that we currently see in diabetes management. So, Donna, what are the social determinants of health? that you see in your work affecting people with diabetes? Well, you know, the words disparity and inequity are really used to to describe social and economic conditions that are really unequal and unfair. And working in South Dallas today, you know, you see poverty. It's, it's, It's amazing. There's huge safety issues. There's really a lack of access to healthcare providers not only the primary care providers, but also specialists. There's transportation issues, safety issues, health literacy. People really lack basic education about their health. There's very minimal community resources, and really important, there's food and nutrition insecurity. 
And we all know how important healthy eating is when it really comes to diabetes. Also, a lot of these disparities really lead to risky and unhealthy behaviors. You see smoking, you see excessive alcohol consumption. Homelessness is, 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 is horrible today. There's inactivity, and we know that all of these things really impact diabetes negatively. Today, you know, we lived through COVID, and I think COVID really was a change catalyst that really identified the need, but also really helped us provide some solutions. We couldn't agree anymore. We know that living through a pandemic really highlighted this need for trust. And so let's shift our conversation and really talking more about trust. Now, I'm going to read a stat from a 2014 Gallup survey that shows that trust in the U.S. medical profession has declined over the past half century. 77% of patients are expressing low confidence in the healthcare system. Specifically, U.S. adults from low-income families are significantly less trusting of physicians and less satisfied with their own medical care than adults not from low-income families. Why are patients, Donna, especially from the underserved communities, not trusting of their providers? Well, I think there's, there's several things. Number one, I think it's really important that we integrate and become part of the community, and I think that's key. You know, in the past, health systems were not very integrated in the community. They would maybe have like a diabetes day or they would do a screening or they'd have a research study. And it was really, you know, time limited and then they would pull out. So there would be resources and then all of a sudden the resources were gone. So there wasn't a lot of continuity and a lot of follow-up. And I think today, you know, people need to really feel and believe that they're cared for and valued. And really, I think that is really the core of trust. And remember, trust is earned. So I think bottom line, I think we really need to be there and we really need to be part of the community. Also, I think everybody's, you know, in in the past, and I think to some extent today, we still work in kind of like silos. You know, we haven't really incorporated like key community partners and really work with them. And I'm, I'm talking about working them on a broader scale, like how do we integrate data with them? I mean, there's work going on in local communities such as the YMCA or, or um, you know, community centers or other nonprofit organizations. And, and if we could partner and share data, I think we could really follow people for a longer period of time and really impact their care on a much more um, impactful level. You are so right. You know, it's not just from a provider standpoint where we need to develop trust, but we need to think about institutional level, community levels, healthcare system levels, and, you know, kind of taking on that message. You know, you've done such a great job at your role at the root cause because it really built this model of care around this concept of trust and accountability. The model centered trust around a patient advocate or a liaison, which is truly incredible. Can you tell us more about the role of a patient advocate or a liaison and how do they differ from a community health worker? Sure. And I think this is near and dear to my heart because I really believe that our patient advocates were really the secret sauce and really what what really made made the, the center work. But, you know, the words are used interchangeably, but there's really a difference. So community health workers are patient advocates, but not all patient advocates are community health workers. So they're they both are very valued players in the healthcare team. You know, they're, they're the frontline workers. They help individuals gain access to proper care. They identify barriers to care. They provide basic health education and basic preventative 
services, and they really raise awareness around related conditions like diabetes. The community health workers, like a profession, it's a profession today. They need to attend a certification program and they need to demonstrate skills in like eight competencies. Plus, they have to demonstrate, you know, really clinical practice hours out in the community. Community health workers can be hired from within the community or from outside the community and may be part of a healthcare system with more of a formalized kind of outreach role. The patient advocate is really rooted in the community. And I really hired many patient advocates. We hired them from the church. And these are people that really have a passion and a deep love for their community. You know, they may not have a lot of education and they may have limited training, but their goal really is to give back to their community. They love people and they really want to give back. And so both of them really share many similarities when it comes to advocating and serving for um, as an um, as a liaison for the patient. Community health workers, too, are also kind of maybe a little bit limited in their focus, depending upon their work setting, where the patient advocates, they're out in the community, they see them at church, they see them at the grocery store, they, they have more of a connection with the people that you want to really impact their health with. Wow. You know, uh, I got to be honest with you, there's a lot of new terminology here. And Prior to this, I was not aware of these type of advocates. Uh, so Donna, you know, how can we find patient advocates to serve as part of a healthcare team? So one of the most important lessons I could say I learned is really to develop the workforce from the community. You know, people heal people, not healthcare systems or not other organizations. Like at the root cause, we hired from the churches and through other safe harbor and nonprofit locations. And the requirement wasn't that they needed, you know, you know, a high school diploma or formal education or anything like that. The requirement was they just needed to have a passion for their community. So I think that that was really important. And I think some of these leaders actually just kind of naturally bubbled up because they really wanted to give back. The patient advocates, really important. It really had skills and qualities that you cannot train or teach. They were from the community so that they knew the community. And many were already considered leaders. They all had an in-depth knowledge of the culture and, and some of the food choices. Many of them experienced similar hardships, and they could speak to issues and solutions through the lens of experience, and I think that that's key right there. Um, they were very familiar with the resources available in the community, and they knew the barriers, they knew the safety concerns, and lastly, their navigation instincts and their personal networks were incredible, and, 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 and they were able to get the job done, and I think that's the most important thing. These are key qualities that are really difficult to teach. Um, we hired through the churches, and one of the things I'd like to say is really the power of faith really served as a catalyst for behavior change. Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, are you able to give us more details about how you integrated patient advocates into the healthcare team? And, you know, were there any associated patient outcomes specifically for people with diabetes? Sure. In the, in the root cause model, we called our patient advocates caregivers. So they were really the trusted ones. They, um, we trained them. They were the frontline workers and they screened for the social determinants of health. They screened for diabetes. They screened for other chronic conditions. We provided them Chromebooks and we trained them on computer skills and basic database management, and we gave them ongoing support 
to be successful. And I think that's the key. So the prong was twofold. And, uh, you know, we wanted to impact the health of the community, but we also wanted to develop a workforce that could really impact this community. So we created uh, created really formalized like assessment and intake um, tools that really made the documentation process um, very, very simple. And then we empowered the staff by making the system very user-friendly and foolproof. So the system really guided the caregivers in their care and prioritized the care for each individual. When we started the whole program, our data showed that about 76% of our community members did not have internet access. And we launched right when COVID hit. So we really needed to really rely on kind of more mobile strategies. And we found that texting and phone calls were the most popular forms of communication. Our outreach efforts were extremely successful. Even during the isolation of COVID, we were had great engagement. We were able to connect with every single person that we screened and followed them. We found, you know, food insecurity with COVID, 68% increase in food insecurity um, post-COVID. Our caregivers were able to really find food and um, we provided food drops at very various locations and follow-up. And interestingly, despite not having a lot of food choices because many of the food banks and some of the food choices were high in carb. 27% of our cohort in one of, of 75 people in one of our set settings actually improved their A1C and many stayed the same. So when you think in terms of that in the heart of COVID, which is simple messaging and support and really no medical care and medical interventions, we were able to decrease A1Cs by 27%. And I thought that was great. We also saw a mental health and depression increase, probably due to the social isolation during COVID. And our caregivers were really able to provide support and keep them engaged. They referred many for treatment. Several patients with severe depression were um, referred for, for ongoing care. One of our caregivers, in fact, and, and, and I think it's a beautiful story, she would call one person every day and they would pray together. And I think that's the power right there of what caregivers and patient advocates can really bring to impact chronic disease. Yeah, you know, I'd imagine that this would be a great undertaking and take a number of resources. So what resources and tools would you suggest for anybody that's listening right now that's working in the healthcare field uh, to build a model like the root cause? And, you know, are there any important stakeholders that they should be aware about? Sure. And, you know, it really takes a village to manage a population with diabetes and really no one could do it alone. So I think today it's really about partnering and sharing resources. I think if you look in the past, and I think it still happens somewhat today, everybody's inventing, you know, reinventing the wheel. And I think we need to stop doing that because resources are so scarce. So I think partnering is really, really key. We need to really look at the resources in each community. And even in some of these, these high-risk communities or communities that are really poverty-stricken, there's great resources there and we need to tap into them. And I think that's really how we build that trust. I think that's how we really build that community capacity. Look to local health departments and YMCAs and rec centers. Many are doing programs. There's a lot of programs and activity in churches, you know, faith-based education. This is all happening today. And a lot of nonprofits in the area that are doing some great work. So the goal is really to work together, really to conserve on resources and get the best outcomes. 
you know, when you talk about stakeholders, I think the best, the, the most critical stakeholders, your community members. We created community advisory boards. We had a ministerial advisory board and we integrated it within, you know, health systems and other nonprofits in the area. Let your community members, you know, really be part of that building and that decision making. And I think sometimes we make decisions and we don't include them. And I think if you really want to gain that trust, you really need to give them like a clear role. And I think that's one good way to really integrate them into, into what you're doing. Another thing is, you know, technology is key. And I and I think it really enables you to really extend your reach. So I think it's really important that when we talk about what are the stakeholders and what we could do, I think we really need to pull together and we really need to look at what's out there and then what do we need to really extend our reach and really to really provide the best care and services in these communities. You know, one other mention too, you know, today if the goal is really to prevent readmissions, looking at the role of the patient advocate and how the community could be such an important part of this. You know, it's really about relationships and it's really about close follow-up, follow-up, follow-up. So if you really want to really decrease readmissions, especially in somebody with, you know, diabetes that really needs the help, I think bringing the community together, working with these patient advocates could really decrease those readmissions and really get the best clinical and behavioral outcomes. Donna, you just made so many great points, very informative, and we really appreciate your expertise. I wanted to shift the topic to something more personal. Um, I wanted to be frank and transparent on a podcast that discusses health inequities. You and I have had conversations about our privileges I'm a pharmacist by training, American-born, and my parents are from India. You're a nurse and a Caucasian female. And fortunately, we have a large group of providers who have this collective passion for health equity. And we know that collaboration with trusted members of the community, like our patient advocates and community health workers, are crucial to build trust, even if we do not look like or have the same background as our patients. Can you share with us best practices from an individual and an institutional level to establish and maintain trust with our patients? Well, first of all, I think you really need to know your community and you need to do your new, your research. You need to know the demographics. You need to know what their issues are. You need to know what are the barriers that are affecting their health care. You really need to engage with your community to make sure that they know that you're there for the long haul. And I think we mentioned that before, and I think it's really, really important. And we need to listen, listen to what they have to say. And we want to include them on committees and boards and let them guide as you develop programs or interventions and strategies to improve their care. They need to be part of the decision making. You also want to develop a workforce from the community. And I can't say enough about this. Invest in human capital. You want to hire from the community and you want to train them and you want to support them. And a perfect example of this is we hired and trained over 40 caregivers. And many of them went on to get their community health worker certification. In fact, one of our um, community health workers has a leadership role in the community health worker national organization. And several of them want to become nurses. You know, that's how you you build community capacity because these are people that are proud of their community. They love their community. And when you give them that opportunity, they bring that back to their community. So it may take some work and effort, but when you invest in people, it really pays off in the end. Another really important point is really creating strategies and interventions that are person and community centric. So using your data 
to guide your intervention. And a good example of this is with diabetes education. If you look at health systems and, and many clinics, they have recognized programs for diabetes and they provide great educational classes. But in the, commu in the communities that I've worked, upwards of 50% of these people did not finish high school. So going to a class on nutrition or a class on diabetes was really not an intervention that worked well. So you need to find better ways to bring that awareness and knowledge in ways that they can relate late and improve. Also, you want to really build on the family feel. And especially if you're doing like shared medical visits, you know, we, we really want to create a team that really focuses on the individual and allows for that inclusivity, that allows for support and allows for that engagement. So you really want to let them know who the team members are and so that they could build relationships with them. As we wrap up here, what are some points that you would like the listeners to take away? So I think there's 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 just so many points. But I think, first of all, I'd like to say, you know, do not assume. And I think that's so important. I think decisions are often made by individuals who may think they know, but they're so far away from the day-to-day -day struggles that exist in these communities. So really do your homework and know your community and really be willing to meet people where they are. You know, there's no one intervention that's going to meet the needs of everybody. Each community is unique and special and your interventions and your strategies need to be the same. And then really, you know, invest in your community. There just is so many untapped resources and gems that could really help impact diabetes care and you need to go after them. And then really lastly, follow up, follow up, follow up, you know, stay connected. I mean, this will really decrease readmissions and really provide the best care and really impact those clinical and behavioral outcomes. Donna, what is on the horizon for you? Well, currently, I'm the chief evangelist for a new startup called Call AI, and we've developed kind of a voice-driven artificial intelligence platform to really help reduce the burden on the healthcare system and on the providers by extending their reach while really supporting the individual with diabetes. And, you know, our goal is to decrease readmissions so that we could really impact diabetes care and other chronic conditions. Today, you know, you really can't get away from that human touch, especially in high-risk communities. So we've really developed a system that responds like a human and, and really shows compassion but most important is connected with the provider. And I think that team, that provider is just integral to really getting the best care. So there's, I think, so much happening on the health tech space. And, you know, I really believe that the future is bright, especially for those in high-risk communities living with diabetes. Thank you so much, Donna, for your time and sharing your expertise with our listeners. Be sure to click on the episode to get links to references and resources to support your efforts in tackling health disparities.